0: Today on the podcast, you'll hear a message from Dr. Jim Richards. Jim Richards has over 40 years of successful ministry, including outreach to the Philippines, pioneering churches in America, conducting leadership conferences, and pastoring a local church in Huntsville, Alabama. As a best-selling author, he has also published dozens of books and ministry development programs. Let's dive into the message.
1: I'm telling you this gives you tools. This gives you know-how. This gives you information. This puts it within your reach to be able to overcome some of your greatest limitations without having to find out what all is wrong with you. And that's that's not the point here. You're not talking about identifying your greatest limitation. I'm not talking about we're going to we're going to get introspective. We're going to dig everything out. But here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being able to d- discover the truth about how to move past your present boundaries. And just in doing that and applying that, you'll overcome your greatest limitations. This series is called Paradigms, Perspectives, and the Glory of God. And so the the limitation in your life is the one that's affecting your capacity to see and to experience the glory of God. Now, one of the questions is, do you want to see uh, and receive and experience the glory of God this life? Now, remember... You know, the glory of God. And according to your background, this that, could mean a lot of things to you. You know, I went to churches back in the. In the 70s where, you know, everybody was wanting to see a cloud appear in the room, like the cloud that, that shadowed the children of Israel through the desert. Everybody wanted to see some type of physical manifestation, uh, some type of supernatural phenomenon as the glory of God. So how you define the glory of God has a, has a big factor on whether or not you will ever see and experience the glory of God in your life. You know, the glory of God, many of you heard me talk about this a lot, the glory of God is this incredibly inclusive word that has this vast, vast uh, uh, meaning and nuances to its meaning. Because, you know, we know about the glory of God from the perspective of, of his greatness, of of his splendor, of his brilliance. You know, you know when when Jesus would work a miracle, the glory of God was being manifest because because the people were seeing something that was that was a phenomenon to them. It 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 it, it was a message and a a magnitude of God's presence and God's expression and God's love that really was not common. But what's interesting about the concept of the glory of God, and some of you heard me talk about this. And this, uh, uh, the glory of God, and, and I'll never forget the first time I saw this, and this was way, way back years ago, because those of you who know me know I've been, I've been teaching about the glory of God for at least 25 years. And when, when you're reading through all of these pages of definitions of, of what the word glory means, and the word glory comes from the Greek word doxa, the word doxa is where we get the, the term doxology. And if you go to a high church, you know, a, 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 a downtown church, they'll sing the doxology at the end of the service, the amen, amen, and the choir sings, and, and that's supposed to represent the glory of God, this incredible song that people sing. But, but when, when you get down to the core meaning of the glory of God, the glory of God in a way that we can grasp and understand is basically this. It's the view, the opinion, and the reality. Now, many of you have heard me talk about this over the years, but I promise you in this series I'm gonna be talking to you about it in ways that you probably have never heard me talk about it, and in ways that are gonna put this within your reach. It's gonna open your understanding about the glory of God. You see, when Jesus healed a sick person <clears throat> the reason the glory of god was being manifested is because god's view and opinion and reality was being manifested. in other words it wasn't god's reality it wasn't god's opinion that people should be sick God didn't want people sick. God didn't want people broke. God did not want people in sin. God did not want people's lives being destroyed. And so when Jesus ministered to people in a way that expressed God's view of mankind and how God related to mankind and his opinion about mankind, then what we got to see was the reality. And you start realizing that anything that we see where the will of God, in other words, what God accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, all the promises of God being ours, being delivered from all the curses of God, anytime that is not happening in our life, we are not functioning in reality or not in God's reality. And so we want to function in God's reality. And and honestly, we don't want to walk around under a strain trying to make God's reality uh, come to pass, we want to o- have our blind eyes open so that we perceive God's reality because you believe what you perceive. and if you don't perceive something to be true, even if it is true, you will not benefit from it. it will not help you, it will not bring quality to your life. So one of the things that I want to have happen as we go through this series is is I want you to be able to perceive God's reality in every situation and participate in his reality instead of the reality that you've been participating in. Now, in this series, you're going to discover the number one thing that's preventing you from seeing the glory of God. You're going to discover what you can do about it, and you're not going to beat yourself up. You're not going to be finding fault, but I'll tell you something that's wonderful you're going to discover in this series. You're going to discover the number one foundational attitude that is absolutely essential for you to see the glory of God. You know, when we come to Jesus, there are some foundational attitudes that if they are present, then our journey with God uh, really is is easy and light. The trajectory for our entire Christian life uh, is set. But when, when we do not have the foundational attitudes uh, to relate to God, we can never fully see what his real view and opinion is. We can never see and experience uh, uh, how God God really wants us to live, how God really wants us to experience life. Now, one of the things we're going to have to do, and we're going to do this today, is we're going to identify the thing that you trust the most. Now let's start out by talking a little bit about a paradigm. A paradigm is a model or a pattern that we set up in our mind. In other words, we, we have a model or a thought or an idea about how something uh, should be and therefore through this lens through this model that we hold in our mind, through this worldview, we look out at the world around us, and we look at the people around us, we look at the circumstances of our lives, and and we are affected by this paradigm that we hold, by this by this uh, this perspective, by this by this worldview. Uh, you know, here, here's one of the places I see this the most. Almost everybody gets married with the idea of the man has the idea of this is the husband's role, and this is the model, and this is what the wife model is. And the wife has an idea of what a good husband is and what a good wife is. Now, they may be right, they may be wrong, it doesn't really matter because that's their model, that's their perspective. Now, what happens is whenever... Whenever we have an idea, whenever we have a perspective, whenever we have this, this way of viewing things, that controls us and determines how we relate to that situation, even though how we're relating to it might not be real. Let me, let me give you a good example of this. Y'all you know, never forget one time there was a couple sitting in my office, and, and uh, the, the woman had always done well financially. She had always made money. She had always uh, been successful at business, and um, you know, just had always done well for herself. The her fiance. Uh, I think he was probably 30 years old or thereabouts and had already filed bankruptcy at least once. Uh, he could not keep a job. He had, I think he had tried to start businesses. They all failed. So she was a, an incredible money manager, an incredible business person. He was a horrible business person. So he comes into this marriage from the perspective that the man Is supposed to handle the finances now I would just love and I asked him you know show me one scripture in the Bible uh, that you base this on well he, he couldn't show me a scripture in the Bible but that was what his daddy taught him that's what his daddy's daddy taught him that's what he saw in the religious world where he went to church Basically, uh, it was, a, it was a, a church where there was a, a macho kind of concept where men were in charge of everything. And so, so he forces her to give up the control of the money management. And within less than a year, they are strapped financially. They're about to lose everything they've got, and they end up in a divorce. And as far as he was concerned, he was absolutely right, and she was absolutely wrong. And the problem was in his mind that she was a rebellious woman who would not surrender to his point of view or to his perspective or to his paradigm of what a good husband and a good wife look like. I want to tell you something. There are more marriages blow up where people start out really loving each other And they blow up because we go into those relationships with our idea of how it's supposed to be what it's supposed to look like and that is not reality but we're trying to force it to become a reality as i'm sure you're seeing by now paradigms and perspectives also get into this arena of opinions you see your opinions uh form your perspective, your opinions form your, your worldview. And those opinions, who knows where they came from? You know, Jesus made an interesting statement one time in Mark seven thirteen. He says, through your traditions, you make the word of God of no effect. Now, the amazing thing is most believers would consider themselves incredibly dedicated to the word of God. But the truth is sometimes we're more dedicated to our cultural interpretation of the Word of God than we actually are to the Word of God. And we'll fight over our interpretation of the Word of God uh, more than we will embrace His Word and let the Holy Spirit teach us and, and discover reality.
0: We have another amazing podcast recommendation for you. If you're craving a podcast that tackles current issues facing Canada today, then you're going to love Gray Matter, brought to you by Miracle Channel. Hosted by the talented litigator turned podcaster, Leighton Gray, this show brings you conversations with global leaders that challenge narrow worldviews and explore taboo topics. The Gray Matter podcast encourages listeners to step outside the box and engage in respectful dialogue all to broaden your perspective. Join in on the podcast and dare to question the status quo Search, follow, and listen to The Gray Matter Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You know, people walk into churches based on their upbringing, based on their culture, uh, and they have an idea of what church should be. Y'all never forget one time, i had uh i had started a new church and it was it was in a, a rural area and man it there was just such an incredibly sweet spirit in this in this little church worship was phenomenal and uh you know we were we were doing evangelism we were reaching people you know at altar ministry uh things happened you know pe- people received help people it, it was just really Uh, a very healthy and incredible little church. I'll never forget one time this couple showed up and they had a Pentecostal background. Now, I'm I'm not trying to pick on Pentecostals here or point out the flaws of Pentecostal. I'm just saying that's their background. So from their perspective, uh, if you went into church, And the Holy Spirit was moving then then there would be all of these wild crazy out-of-the-box things that would happen and when she would get excited like you know and felt like the Holy Spirit was moving on her it looked like she was vibrating she'd start she'd start clicking her heels on the floor and literally just vibrating all over the floor and you know something I'm not against any of that stuff that's not what I'm saying but our problem is we take our experiences with God and we turn them into law we turn them into ways to judge other people because that becomes our model our paradigm of what spirituality is and I'll never forget man I mean we had such there was such a sweet environment in that church and 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 before long I started noticing that people were getting discontent well what happened was uh, she was going around uh, to all these new believers and said, what's wrong here? What's wrong here? The spirit isn't moving here. Well, in reality, what she meant was the spirit's not moving the way I want him to move. The spirit's not moving in line with my opinion and my perspective of what it looks like when the Spirit of God is moving. And, you know, we'll do that. And in her case, she alienated herself from a lot of people. She made a lot of enemies. She she hurt some people. She caused discontent in the church. And that wasn't her intention. But the problem was she could not see beyond her own uh, determination of what it should look like. When God moves in a situation, you know it's an interesting thing with altar calls. And years gone by in my early years of ministry, you know I did altar ministry just the way I, it was modeled to me, and you know I'd lay hands on people and and take time praying for people. And an altar call could last you know easily 30 minutes if you were if you were minister to a lot of people, and um, uh, so. When I started going overseas and doing crusades overseas, I was dealing with, with with several thousand people at an altar call. So I stopped praying for people one-on-one, started praying for people in mass or in groups, and uh, had phenomenal miracles, had every kind of miracle you could imagine that would take place. And so, so... You know I, I kind of got a reputation for getting people healed and miraculous things happening in my ministry so so for years we were the church that people snuck off to when they needed to get healed or when they needed to get a miracle and I began to see some real unhealthy codependent patterns where people thought they needed me to lay hands on them for God to work in their life and so I wasn't interested in having a you know codependent ministry I wasn't interested in um, uh, and, and getting people you know dependent on me so I'll never forget, uh, I made this decision that, you know, if I saw all these kinds of miracles uh, overseas, ministering to people in groups, group, it should be able to happen the same way here in the United States. And then that way, I don't become the, the the center of attention. I don't become the focus. And so I just started praying for people in mass. And, you know, we got testimonies all the time of people getting healed of you know phenomenal things happened in our services but we weren't really just glorifying it and we weren't glorifying the altar call and many of the people that had a real religious background just could not cope with it and started to say, I remember one guy said, well, nobody's got to heal under Jim's ministry in 20 years. And, and I remember thinking, you know something? We've had, we've had deaf ears open here in our services. We've had people with life-threatening diseases get healed. We've had every kind of healing and miracle that I've ever seen anywhere in the world happening on a regular basis. It just wasn't happening the way people wanted it to happen. Now I want to tell you something. The, the the Jewish community, they missed, they failed to recognize when the Messiah came the first time because it didn't happen the way they wanted it to happen. And right now, God God is always trying to move in your life. God's always trying to heal you. God is always trying to solve whatever situation you're facing. Uh, But the problem is we usually have some idea of what we think it should look like, of how we think it should happen, of how it's supposed to feel. And the real truth is, we're, you know, it's it's like it's like we're pushing God out of the way, saying, look, look, get out of the way. I'm looking for God, but we're pushing God out of the way, and instead of and instead of seeing and perceiving when he moves, we, we look past it and we miss the event, and then we think that God is not moving because we have decided how it's supposed to look, how it's supposed to feel. How, uh, you know, you know, uh, I'm supposed to have some. Lay hands on me. I'm supposed to fall down or, or whatever it is that you think is supposed to happen. I'm supposed to have a warm feeling or whatever. And the the real truth is God's always trying to heal you. God's always trying to deliver you. God's always trying to resolve your situation. Now, when you begin to look at it from a scriptural point of view, you realize that that, and, and you'll see this, we're, we're, gonna look at, we're gonna look at the scripture in this in just a minute. You'll see that your perspective is based on your position now this is easy to understand geographically and i think i've used this example before but if you were standing on uh, on on this platform and let's say that we had a, you know a decorative some decorative plants on this platform and we got a big tree you know a big uh, uh, one of these uh, plastic trees standing up here to make it look good and uh, <clears throat> and so you're looking out across The audience over there and and someone is trying to signal you about something and the problem is because you're Standing behind this tree you're looking out there and you really can't see you can't see what they're trying to communicate with you You don't even know that anybody's trying to communicate with you And the reason you can't is because of your position where you're standing when you look now that tree represents your opinion and and you see, the thing that's between us and God's reality is our opinion. The thing that's between us and God's reality is is the perspective that we have developed based on where we're standing. And what we don't realize is this, is that when, when we... When we look, our blindness, that keeps us from seeing what God is trying to do, that keeps us from seeing what God wants to do, uh, it, it, it is our opinion. And it's just it's just blinding us to something that God is already trying to give us. Now, in the book of Luke, it's it so interesting. Someone came to Jesus one time, and they said, Lord, what do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? Now, the word for eternal life uh, is is the quality of life possessed by the one who gives it. So this person is is saying, what do I need to do to have this quality of life that God's really offering? And when when Jesus answered this question, and man, I'll never forget the first time I saw this and this was a life changing uh, time for me, Jesus said, "What does the what does the scripture say? And how do you read it? You know what? I I think that's in Luke 10, 25. What does the scripture say? And how do you read it? That is so incredibly powerful because most of us would just ask a person, what does the Bible say? And really in counseling and in personal ministry and you know you know i've done years and years of counseling and personal ministry you know we had a counseling center uh in, in, in one of the churches i started years ago we had a substance abuse and counseling center here for adults for teens we had marriage counseling we had all kinds of counseling and personal ministry programs and in almost every situation that I've ever that I've ever dealt with, where people were not able to to uh, uh, take hold of the truth, uh, it, if they were believers that were reading, they were reading their Bible. The problem was, they were reading their Bible, but they were interjecting their opinion into the Bible. And so, rather than just taking the Bible for what it says, they interpreted the Bible in a way. To support a previously determined position. Now, whenever Jesus asked this man, you know, what what does the Bible say, and how do you read it? The man quoted the scripture, you know, from the Old Testament that said, you know, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, and all, in verse 26 he says, written in the law, uh, you know, how, or what's written in the law? How do you read it? So he says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and um, and, you know, Jesus said, well, well that's great. And if you, you know, if you do this, you're going to experience this quality of life that, that you're asking me about. But uh, the, the man said, well, what else do I lack? Which is, which is kind of interesting because when somebody knows what the Scripture says but they still feel a sense of lack, then the real truth is the way they're interpreting that Scripture is not based on God's Word. And so Jesus put forth the, the, a parable um, uh, or, or actually, they begin to talk about loving your, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself, and he and he said, "Well, wait a minute. I got to ask you a question here. Who, who is my neighbor?" I want you to understand something. This guy already had his mind made up of how he wanted to approach God, how he wanted to see his circumstances, how he wanted to interpret the Scripture. And because he already knew what he wanted, he knew what he wanted it to say, he knew what he wanted it to look like, then even when Jesus himself quoted the scripture to him, he could not see it for what it really is. I want to tell you something, that's the boat that we're all in. And we've all got to move past our opinion because it is our opinion that is limiting us more than anything else.